You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the BH app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Whites. Well, well, welcome to the BH Photography Podcast. My name is Alan Whites. Today's topic is Cameras of the Year for 2015. Our guests today are Matt Hill, Director of Marketing for the Greatest Group and Night Photography Specialist, and Levy Tannenbaum, Pro Photography Trainer here at B&H and a professional photographer in his own right. Before we begin, I think it's important to recognize the fact that if you ask 10 photographers what their favorite camera is, you're going to get 12 answers, and they're all valid. And that's because if you shoot portraits in the studio, you're going to have one set of criteria as to what is important and what's best. If you shoot weddings, editorial, travel, sports, or maybe star trails at 2 in the morning, your needs will differ. Do you need resolving power, i.e. more megapixels, or do you need fewer pixels with larger photoreceptors for pulling detail out of the darkest shadows? Maybe need double-digit frame rates, six-digit ISO ratings, or a camera system that's simply smaller and lighter. For many shooters, more pixels mean better pictures, at, or at the very least, sharper pictures. Canon's EOS 5DS and 5DSR are the current leaders at 50.6 megapixels, closely followed by Sony's 42 megapixel A7R2. Since both of these cameras are on everybody's list of candidates for being the best cameras of this past year, let's begin here. Levy, Matt, guys, shoot it out. Who thinks? Canon, who thinks Sony, and why? They're both they're both important cameras. They're both different. You have one DSLR, you have one mirrorless, and their market's kind of a different. I'm just going to jump right in. Um, I think it's amazing that Sony's put out pretty much six cameras in two years, and each one is a legitimate step up from the next. There is a reason why you would graduate from an A7 to an A7 Mark II or an A7 to an A7R Mark II or an A7S to an A7S Mark II. This is the kind of innovation which I'm not sure if Sony can actually keep up, but it's amazing to see within the first two generations such nice feature sets at the next camera level. And they have everybody else's attention too. Oh, yeah. It, it seems to be relentless to me. Uh, I think that they they absolutely have intended to dominate the market and they're putting every available resource into it. And it does have that special wonderful thing of being able to mount practically any lens. So if you love glass in general... It's a great choice. Yeah, um, totally agree. And th this is actually, I'm going to take the same moment also to talk about the 5DS for a sec. Love the fact that Canon came with a 50 megapixel. I started off on a, I think it was a 10D and moved up to 5D when the classic body came out in a 5D Mark II. Um, so my love for Canon goes way back. And I love the fact that it came with a 50 megapixel camera. I'm just also really annoyed. <laughs> That, because that they didn't increase any of the dynamic range on it or any of the the color consistency which they could have done it's one of the reasons why i think the d810 and nikon's been doing so well against them even at the lower megapixel range bigger is not always better you know more of the right thing is always better these days and that that transforms into cameras and many other things you know like it's it's well this is going to sound weird but it's how you use it that's most important and what people want out of it, right? So 50 megapixels might be totally appropriate for somebody who has to do billboards. 
That's fantastic. And even that's not necessarily true because we both know people who've shot with much lower resolution cameras and have produced billboards in similar size. But you can stand three feet away from it and have proper resolution. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Yes. Viewing distance. Viewing distance. No two ways about it. So for it. your fine art photographer who just needs to print a, uh, a four foot by six foot on a wall, right. which people are going to stand next to, that's, you're right. Probably paramount. You know, if you just need resolution, resolution, then uh, you're going to need those giant file sizes and you're not going to be banging away a couple thousand shots a day like a wedding photographer it has absolutely no reason for a wedding photographer to have that. You know, you don't want all of those pores exposed anyway. That, that's nothing new because when, when contacts came out with their original 645 system way back when and they had the latest generation Zeiss lenses, the biggest complaint about the camera, especially I think it was their 150 or their 180 portrait lens, was that it was too darn too sharp. It was sharp. You, you don't want to <laughs> yeah. shoot a human being right. with that lens because it was just brutal. You had to dumb it down. Now, my feeling has always been, give me all the resolution. I could always soften it down after. There's a limit to how much you could improve upon the resolution, but you could always smooth, you could always fix. And, and even though I hate depending on post-production for a lot of these things, th th that is a consideration. So you, you need a lot of, 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 if you can have high resolution, you could always make it dumber. Well, you, you do the same thing with Portrait 800, you know, you're like, then, then you're not really dealing with the sharpness. You just had like a lot less resolution on the film. There you go. Right. That's it. Now, now's a good time to make a comment for CCPP. Get it for ten dollars a month. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about the Sony now? How does that fit into things? I mean, I, I I've personally been very very big on Sony. Uh, I have an A7S, and while I would not update from my needs to an A7S Mark II, I would consider the A7R Mark II because I like wide-angle lenses, and that camera, from what I've seen, can handle the 25 and 21 millimeter focal length very well, whereas the original A7R couldn't. It would just go into fringing and all kinds of weird stuff that was just too much to deal with post-production. Uh, yeah, you ran um, you ran a test where you were shooting with the 35. Well, what was it was a 35, but yeah, but it, it just it went a weird. Disaster. And that's why I went with the A7S, and I happen to like the full tonality and, and the, the low-light abilities of it. But the new camera gives me a heck, like three times the resolving power and still holds the edges as far as clean color with wide angles. So that would be my next thing, but that's my needs. It was the 35 Voigtlander. Yes, that's, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so now that we've solved all those problems with high resolution, <laughs> uh, there are a lot of other cameras on our list. And again, it depends on, on, on what your needs are. Uh, so once you get away from megapixels, where do we go from there? What, what cameras struck your fancy, Matt? Well, from this year's batch, I, I really am enchanted with two cameras. And they're more off the beaten path than the ones that, that most people consider. That's why we asked you to be here, because yeah. we expected this from you. Oh, here, here, <laughs> here I am, not disappointing. Uh, the the D10A uh, mm -hmm. from Nikon uh, is a particular interest to me because I specialize in night photography. Right. Not having that low-pass filter sounds extraordinary to me because sharpness when you're talking about astral objects is very important. Yeah. Uh, and that extra sensitivity, you know, it's just pretty soon I'm going to have my, chin, my hands on one to try it. Uh, but by the specs, uh, it's an interesting mixture being that it's 36 megapixels where I only really require 24. We're kind of back to that megapixels thing. Uh -huh. I own a D750 and love it. And it's a workhorse of a camera and I know it inside and out. 
and the DA-10 is a substantially larger body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and I have to carry lots of stuff, like two cameras all the time. So to have that sort of eats up in my bag. So that I'd see as a disadvantage. But all the other factors for my specialty in night photography would make it worth, you know, having a spot in my bag. Now, you made it sound like the uh, 36 megapixels was a, a, a liability for you. They just said 24 is enough. Does it make a difference that it's higher resolution to you, aside from the fact that the no-pass filter? Well, there's, 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 some, there's some wonderful things about being able to zoom in even further and see uh, stars being, you know, many pixels instead of single pixels, right? Uh-huh. You okay. know, like the resolution does have its benefits in that respect. And generally, I don't shoot more than 40 or 50 pictures in an evening. Right. So uh, it's not like it's occupying a lot more space on my hard drive. But that space in the bag is really important because I generally don't drive up to the places that I shoot. Uh -huh. I'm wearing a 35-pound backpack and going those places to shoot. So space for the, the body plus extra batteries and stuff actually is a, a prime concern to me. Yeah, I travel a lot, and I know size and weight is definitely a factor to me too. Right. Levy, what about you? Yeah, um, I was actually just thinking, you mentioned earlier about the 645 from Context, and I was thinking something that we didn't really hear a lot of since it came out is the Pentax 645Z, and it came out last year, but I still think it retains its status. It's still 50 megapixels CMOS medium format, um, although Canon's now got a 50 megapixel camera, um, all all the medium format cameras all have these 50 megapixel C, um, CMOS sensors from Sony. The fact that it comes in at about $8,000 is fully weather sealed and kind of is that introduction to medium format at a affordable level, I, I still think it's worth worth a mention, even though it's from last year. No, and no, I agree with you. It's also medium format. And and yeah, you have Canon's cameras also 50 megapixel, but 35 millimeter format versus medium format. There's a very different look to the image themselves. Exactly. Just as there's a big difference between a full frame and say a, a four thirds and definitely point and shoots and a one inch sensor. They You, you could find high resolving sensors and cameras in all these formats, the pictures don't look the same though. They have different looks and feels about it. And unless you've been shooting for a while and using different formats, you may not even recognize that it's more than resolving power. It has to do with depth of field and how the image, the subject is rendered in each different format. And, and, and Pentax color science is actually really nice. I mean, if you've seen some photos coming out of those cameras, I've gotten a chance to shoot with it and it's, it's really, it's nice. I've seen some pictures that have blown me away from that. And it's it's if you're doing portraiture, especially mm -hmm. uh, great because oh, yeah. you have that more limited depth of field with the focal mm -hmm. lengths, just by the nature of them being longer to cover the same area. So like that, that is a really nice thing. On on the other hand, for somebody like me who's going to shoot wide and and want to get almost everything in focus, I can't go as wide with those as I normally would. Like and I shoot with a 15 millimeter normally all the time. Right. So. And you didn't want to add more weight to your backpack anyhow. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know. I know. <laughs> so but I, I think it's I think it's great that there's there's still some innovation in the medium format space. Um especially uh where everybody has to fight, which is down with the price, you know? Mm -hmm. Um uh, our idea of what perfect or amazing is is battling with good enough. And good, that's really where the real battle is now. What is good enough and the ideas around surrounding what is good enough is individual to each person and their clients, right? So that gets back to the heart of the matter here, I think. And then you have it for all photographers. As soon as the new one comes out, we're salivating, we got it, and then we're looking. 
You're right, you're right back out on the rumor site saying, what's coming next? So aside from 35 millimeter, uh, what kind of cameras are exciting to, uh, uh, this year? I mean, there's been some neat stuff other than 35 millimeter. The uh, Fuji X-T1, uh, infrared virgin. Mm-hmm. Is, I, I own an X-T1 and I love it. Uh, and being able to shoot IR, I've had IR converted cameras before. This has just an amazing sensitivity where it also covers IR and ultraviolet. And it's strange. I, back in the days I worked for me and I had a scientist call me and say, like, can you make this 150 RB lens in ultraviolet with quartz instead of the regular glass that you make? And it's just a great story. Uh, knowing that you can use glass and a sensor these days to record ultraviolet in addition to because that would have been like a $35,000 prototype to make that lens back then. You know, now you can pick up a very inexpensive camera and shoot in any frequency that you want. And that's, for art purposes, that just sounds fantastic because you can you can show people what they can't see, and that's part of the purpose of art. Right. Well put. Well put. Plus the fact that the Fuji, you can't put adapters on. It's mirrorless, so therefore you could put any number of lenses you might stumble on. So if you find some obscure lens that happens to be very good for your applications, chances are you could fit it on there. One way or the other, you can get that thing to fit. Absolutely. Like the old uh, screw mount 50 millimeter Russian lens that I have. Mm-hmm. I could put that on there. Yep. Nice. It's a special kind of softness around the edges. Yeah, because they don't like to make sharp lenses. I wouldn't qualify them as a they, but you know, some factories didn't. <laughs> 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 Let's see how much we can scratch this one. <laughs> I also backed the digital hole gun Kickstarter, so I mean, uh-huh. <laughs> oh, fantastic! I, I love all kinds of cameras, and I try out all different kinds of cameras. You know, they're they're all for different purposes. Oh yeah. Levy, you have a lot of uh, interaction with the sales personnel here, the guys out on the floor, people on phone sales, um, and you must get feedback from them as far as what the average customer, and a- average customer is all over the place at B&H, but what kind of cameras have people been looking at this year? I can rattle them off. I mean, A7 Mark II, the A7S II are both, they're both really killing it right now. Sony did a great job. Like, I mean, I sound like all we're doing is sitting here praising Sony, so... Um, they, they've and done we a haven't good even job. gotten to the RX100 mark. <laughs> exactly. We haven't even gotten there yet. So just like another two to go down on the list. But they, they've done a really good job with that. The 5DS, 5DSR, we're getting a lot of calls about a lot of people. Um, I think Canon's been a little bit surprised about who's going for the S versus who's going for the R. Kind of a little bit about what uh, what Nikon went through when they came out with the D800. Yeah, and the difference the between the two cameras are. Pretty much the main only difference between the two cameras is that the 5DS is 50 megapixels with a low-pass filter, whereas the 5DSR has a second low-pass filter in there to cancel out the effects of a low-pass filter, essentially unblurring the blur of your image, which happens on your sensor, essentially making it for the ultimate sharpness or resolution. So again, depending on what your needs are. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And so that, that's been really interesting to see. Um, Jumping into point-and-shoot style cameras or super yeah. zooms, um, the P900 from Nikon with the 83 times zoom, I'm sure people here have seen the photos of the moon with it. Yeah. Crazy cool. The, the, yeah. This camera is amazing. We were we did a long lens um, event. This is actually a great time to plug that our used department has a 1200 millimeter Canon lens in it. And so we took that and the P900 up to our um, 15th floor over here on 34th and 9th looked straight down ninth to the Statue of Liberty, which is, I don't know, approximately four miles away. And when I'm saying that, you know, it was like a third of the frame is the Statue of Liberty and the P900 was even closer than that, it was, it's insane. 
just the the amount of zoom. I, I think what people find fascinating about this camera is these kind of super zooms have been around for a while. You have 30 times zoom, then they went up to 40, then to 50, and even 60. But now you're doing 83 times zoom. I mean, it's it's literally we can look, we can spy on people in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically New Jersey, or is it okay elsewhere? No. New Jersey. Um, uh, beyond 2,000 millimeters, uh, whatever it is. Um, th that's also an important thing to take note of, uh, uh, that you do have a camera that will go this ridiculous uh, optical range, and you can wear it around your neck all yep. day or fit it into a coat pocket and travel with it very easily. It's almost, uh, it, 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 it's, it's a no-brainer. The camera is the size of a softball if it's, it's that big. just under 600 bucks. I mean, it's yeah. really, it's incredible. The one the one thing I will say about this camera is everyone's going to buy it and they think that they're going to be hand-holding 83 times zoom, which is the equivalent of 2,000 <laughs> millimeters. And while Nikon, this is great time to also mention that Nikon's VR or vibration reduction in this camera is fantastic. But if you're shooting at 2,000 millimeters, put it on a steady surface or get a small travel tripod, just get it onto something steady because as soon as you start zooming in, you will see the difference. Mm -hmm. Actually, I have a, a, a tripod for a 4 or 5 Linhoff that would be ideal for that. So. <laughs> <laughs> Big wooden one. <laughs> <laughs> like a little peanut sitting on the ball head. But uh, no, that's also the, the tree. You do have to stabilize it, but it's very doable because I know quite often I, I – just walking around Midtown or traveling, whatever, I always seem to spot things that are just really far away that a two or 300 millimeter lens just wouldn't get it. Yeah. And then you have the compression and all of that stuff. So that, that's an enormous, amazing tool. And also, I, I think we'll all agree that uh, Sony's, uh, the RX100, now the Mark IV, you know, the original camera was mind blowing and they seem to make an incredible update You know, for the fourth generation. Now that camera is outstanding where you could take remarkable pictures that are extremely sharp with lots of latitude. You have a pop-up EVF that's actually usable. Uh, nice focal range. It's built beautifully and it fits in your pocket. And that sensor has been picked up by a lot of other manufacturers. And there are some great cameras that are based around that very same sensor. I think a lot of pros have that in their pocket. Yes. It's, it's their, their carry-around camera. It has a lot of the qualities they expect from their pro cameras, except for the size. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It's excellent. And also the fact that Sony has managed to fit 4K into pretty much every new camera that's coming out right now. This is a pocket camera. It's not the first pocket camera to have 4K, but the sensor is excellent. It's the first stacked um, CMOS sensor that we're it's, seeing in one It's inch. not the future anymore. It's now. <laughs> 4K right. is now. <laughs> and and what's also interesting is, and everyone's been talking about this, they, they have this... Um, thousand frames per second mode, which if you look at the quality of it, isn't always that great, but it's just so cool to see things that slowly from something that you've had in your pocket. Right. You have a Phantom-esque experience, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But instead of, you know, eighty dollars to $120,000 for a Phantom 4K, you're... <laughs> yeah. It's good to slow down and enjoy something for once, right? Exactly. <laughs> Can I go the other way and, and suggest another oddball camera? Please. The, the Ricoh Theta S. Yes. Yes. Okay. I love that camera. I, you know, we, we're all friends with Gabe, right? Gabe posts a lot of pictures using his Thetas. Uh, I was introduced to them by him, and... Uh, and then he and I went and taught a workshop, uh, and I was in, even more introduced to it where we had a shot where we were driving where it looks like we're inside of like a spaceship, uh, and it was just extraordinary. And now that they've upgraded it so you can do long exposures with it, it's even more enchanting to me. For listeners who are not clear about what makes this camera so special, could you elaborate on that? 
Oh. Well, instead of one lens, it has two lenses, and they're spherical, and it has two sensors. So when you hold it up, that actually creates what you could turn into a spherical panoramic, which is a globe-looking like photograph, or you can change it into a VR experience that you can explore. People can click around in it if you publish it online in a non-final format, meaning like not out to a JPEG. Uh, so you have a lot of variety in being able to share this image. And if you make video with it, then you can YouTube allows you to post these now. You can make 3D, 360 explorable videos where you can walk through something and people can, with their mouse, move around inside of this and see every direction up and down, left and right. And it's not even going to be with your mouse. There's a bunch of things coming out where you can either plug your phone into a VR goggle type experience, which then is all based on movement, which is really cool. And just keep in mind that just a few years ago, this kind of technology came out of MIT and was not anything the consumer could even consider purchasing. And now it's available at B&H Photo. And it's smaller than a phone. Exactly. And affordable, which is, again, one of the amazing things about the technologies that are catching up right now. So We, yeah. we live in amazing times, yes, which we really do. do. We definitely do. And speaking about smaller than phones and stuff like this, Alan did a great video on the DX01 which I, I only think is worth Matt, mentioning. Matt, you're chuckling. <laughs> I, I, believe, I believe that we should try every idea we can. Yes, okay. Some ideas succeed more than others. Exactly. Right? So I'm not, I, I can go on record for saying that I'm not the biggest fan of the DX01, but I do like the approach that, that they're trying over here, that they are trying to do something which doesn't, it's, it's not a Wi-Fi connection. You don't have to worry about your Wi-Fi failing or anything like that. You're plugging it directly into your phone. And you're taking the, for those of you who don't know, the DX01 is a little one-inch sensor camera with a, I believe it's a 30 or 35 millimeter 1.8 Yeah, something 30-something millimeter. It's a size of a walnut, it's, basically. It's it, very small. It, it's a really, I think, at its core, it's a really good idea. It's how do, you make, how do you make the phone a better camera? And it just plugs in via your lightning adapter. For those of you who are Android or, or Windows, this is not for you yet. But um, it slips in. But there, there are certain things which I think at, at fundamentally which are just kind of wrong with it, which is one of them being that the way that they've created the lightning adapter just doesn't work if you're holding the phone. No. I mean, sorry, if you're holding the camera, the phone will drop off. And that's not – that's just not acceptable in my world. But it does broach a really important topic, which is most people uh, – I'm not sorry. Most many people really enjoy the phone that's in their pocket, Right. Oh, yeah. So them trying to understand and build something to embrace that approach is, is really important. It should be explored more. If you haven't seen it or, or read about it or handled it, uh, again, it's tiny. It has the same sensor that is a 20-megapixel sensor, uh, a backlit CMOS uh, sensor found in the Sony uh, RX100. It is a 32-millimeter lens. It does 1080p video, 30 frames a second goes up to ISO 51,000, uh, does in raw, raw. In, that's right, it does raw, JPEG, and DxO Super Raw, which basically shoots four raw images at different ratings and combines them together. So it gives you ridiculously good images, very, very good images, and you could use it as a free as a freestanding camera. You don't have to plug it into your phone. You could. You don't get a viewfinder, and you have no way you're doing it. You just basically shooting from the hip quite literally. So it's a, it's an interesting versatile camera in many many ways and it's goofy to use. Yeah, I mean it's it's really that, that's I think my biggest issue with the camera it's just really it's a bit goofy. Oh. Well then there's the big question what is what is its purpose? 
you know, like, hey, who's who's going to use it for what purpose? Is it an iPhone accessory or is the iPhone the accessory for the camera? Right. <laughs> well, it's for somebody who already has it. And we all have phones that take very, very good pictures. And many of us still want to carry a point and shoot. So here's an opportunity to have something smaller than the average point and shoot that works with your phone and together. It, it's it's a funny argument for it. But again, they did it. And it, it's it, I'm glad they did. Yeah. Absolutely. So well, that that's why I really believe it's worth mentioning. It, it, it connects one, just one last thought. It, it connects us to the thing that we find very important lately, which is our connection to other people. Yeah. Right. The yes. camera is essentially connected to that phone, which allows us to communicate and share with everybody. So it's, it's really reaching to tap that vein. And speaking of interesting things, like we've jumping a, a little bit over, we've seen some really interesting technologies coming out of companies like Light, uh, Lytros yes. as far as um, the reshift kind of stuff, refocus, and we've seen it in in their cameras, like, um, and we've seen it now coming out in Panasonic as kind of having this refocus technology, kind of that's like a touch per, technology. Yeah, that's just being introduced. really interesting. And, but on top of that, though, a, a very interesting approach that we've seen, I think we've all seen this, I think they're beyond Kickstarter, they're, they're beyond funding is this light camera, the L16. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which that is a really cool approach to just put multiple lenses on multiple sensors, take folded photo, image paths, yeah, and tile it all together. I yeah. mean, I think that is such a cool approach. Well, this past week I was also using a, uh, a ZTE Axon Pro, which is an unlocked smartphone, and it also has a, a camera that has two lenses, and you can refocus after the fact. You take pictures. You can play around with the the depth of field. Everything post-capture. So this technology is one of the things that we're going to be seeing a lot of right now. Uh, unfortunately, it's another skill you don't need as a photographer. If you mess up, you could still refocus your picture after the fact and improve upon it. So it's one of those double-edged uh, double swords. Would you say that photography is is being asked questions by the technology now? Like, what is what is the purpose of photography now? The technology is... It seems to me that that's, that's what's happening. What do you guys think? Um, before I answer that question, I just need to do a real um, quick follow-up to my L16 is that it's not available yet. It hasn't come out yet. Right. And that's what I was mentioning the about the funding. It's, yeah. it's, yes. it's going to be coming out, and they definitely have the prototypes minus software, et cetera, and they've kind of shown stuff. But definitely check out the videos for that. Going back to your esoteric question, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, the L16 is a great example of that and refocusable photographs. Like our definition of photography is being changed by – how people solve it with technology. Yeah, it's no. It, I think photographers of the past, and we definitely saw this with the beginning of digital. Now, I'm quite a few years younger than the other two gentlemen over here, so I'm coming at the end of film. Right. Um, and I was there when the actual transition to, to digital was being made, so I don't have their depth of experience in this, but when I was in photo school, we, would, we were still learning in labs and we still had to process and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, every class required us to have a digital camera. And um, I think photographers used to hold on to technique that they were very proud of themselves that they had a certain technical level of expertise and people would get hired or, or they were able to set themselves aside just based on their technique alone. And now what I think Matt's bringing up is that now the technique, I could do exactly what Matt does or replicate it five or six different ways. I would debate that. <laughs> I think it's interesting to talk about with technology. We also have a sort of a knee-jerk reaction going with that. Leica brings out their new monochrome cameras. Right. All right. And I think that that's really, really an interesting thing that now we have cameras that will only shoot black and white. I am especially interested in that 
for anybody who's seen my work, you know that it's 99% black and white. Right. It's not something that my my budget can currently allow for. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but the thought of, of shooting something purely into that, that black and white space without it being interpolated, just yes. a, a clear, clean, like, here's what the pixels see. Like, this is, this is, it's an honest kind of photograph to me. And Good I'm not putting it, you know, like in what you make from that is an artistic impression of the raw capture, right? You are so purist. I, I sometimes it. I am. love yeah. it. I love it. I am. And I, I, that's why I really like black and white because you don't get distracted by color. You know, you have to be extraordinary at color. You have to be good at it. You have to be intentional to make really, you know, like rewarding to the viewer color photographs. Yep. And black and white, you have to be great at composition because you can't distract people with color. And tonality. And to, yeah. Like all the, the classic things that make a photograph. You know, now Leica came out with the monochrome camera, but they also came out with two other interesting which cameras. Which are fantastic. The Q and the SL. And the Q itself, uh, I had a chance, I spent about a week with that camera, and I was totally in awe of what that camera's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. It's really, really impressive. It's interesting. Now that Leica has embraced autofocus, they, they seem to be, yeah, they, they, <laughs> yay. <laughs> and, and they seem to have done a good job with it. Um, the Q, you know, for all the people who are going to make this complaint, yes, it's a Leica. You're going to be paying up for it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the Q seems to be really resonating with the crowd. It's kind of in the right space price-wise. It's kind of a, what a lot of people were looking for out of Leica. It takes very nice photographs regardless of whatever mm -hmm. criteria you have. The lens is sharp. The imagery is clean. It's, it's, it's got a wonderful quality. Um, I, I loved especially using that lens at its widest aperture, at its closest focusing distances, and the... That is so you, Alan. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, yeah, I'm a creature of habit. It's magic. It's absolute magic. And then you have the SL, which a lot of people have things to say about. I have Again, a lot to say about frame. the SL. Uh, <laughs> I think you should yeah, start. It's, it's very aerobic to use, uh, uh, but, and, and the finder's brilliant. It's, it's, it, it's so much amazing technology, and... From a company like Leica that prides itself in design, I I am amazed by how ugly and unergonomic <laughs> and heavy and bulky this Tell us camera what is. What you really think? Yeah, and, don't hold back. It's it's you know what I think Leica came to fill a very inter interesting niche over here where it's not a mirrorless camera in size, which I think a lot of people are a little perturbed by, or just wasn't from a professional standpoint. People didn't feel it had the ruggedness, even though you have some. Um, fully weather sealed um, mirrorless it's cameras. It's built well. It's 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 a mirrorless DSLR, so it's DSLR size. It's something that we're all kind of used to, but it's just I have you. I, I got to play around with it at the show over here when they had PDN NY 2015, and it was just I held that camera and the autofocus is great. Um, the viewfinder, as Alan said, is beautiful. I like that they went 24 to 90, even though I would have rathered that they had stayed in the 2.8 range because it does give me a portrait focal length without having to switch lenses but that lens is huge and the camera itself the it just feels like a brick attached to another brick there's none sort of, of a lego kind of uh, feel to it exactly. very heavy lego it's got hard corners on it and and and, and it is and as alan's saying as i mentioned it, it is really heavy you know it's it's dslr full body heavy my it's guess is they'll, they'll round off the edges on the next version of it uh it we still won't be able to afford it. But, come, come, uh, <laughs> come to my CNC warehouse. I will see what I can do for you. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and one camera we haven't mentioned, I think, we, we and we've all handled it, and I think we all like it, is the uh, Olympus OMDEM5, which uh, also qualifies, yeah, I think, two. with having more letters and dashes in it than any other camera model we're discussing <laughs> today. My one complaint about that camera and most Olympus cameras is the menu systems are obfuscating. They're like they, they're very point taken. It's, the, it's it's hard to yeah. In navigate the interest of them. simplifying, they yeah. became confusing. Precisely, I, I think they missed the mark on that. Everything else, I think they nailed it. You're right about the menus, but the camera itself really handles nice, feels beautiful. It takes yeah, good fantastic. pictures. The glass is wonderful, and you could put anything that you own on it. And I will carry that instead of a point and shoot. Like it's it's that small, yeah. it's that rugged. I mean, I can't slip it into my pocket, right. but it can go almost anywhere else. From the point of view of a night photographer, there's there's three really incredible things that they that Olympus has done, and they've upgraded the firmware on other cameras in addition to, I think, introducing it with this camera. Uh, live bulb they had before. Mm-hmm. Live time oh, that, their they live had bulb before. Is beautiful. Live composite they introduced with this series, the series. And that one is extraordinary from this point of view. If you don't know what it is, you start taking a picture. It says, all right, I'm going to evaluate it. And you set how many seconds in between each update it does on the back of the screen. It's just holding the shutter open. And then it holds the highlights. Yes. So you can keep awesome. burning in the shadows, mm-hmm. but not burn out your highlights, which really eliminates the need to make HDRs at night. It's one image HDR. It's one image HDR, and you see it live on the screen, and it's extraordinary. If you're just kind of starting out or you want to do simplified night photography, I would buy the camera just for that one reason. You can do incredible light painting, and you can do incredible cityscapes, anything with, with highlights in it. Just Just go for it. And they, they again, you, if you have any of the other cameras that you already bought that from Olympus, just upgrade your firmware. One other camera. And I want they to... have the high resolution, 40 megapixel. Yes, that's also a crazy cool mode. Maybe you should talk about that more than me because it's, it's, it's not my cup of tea. I've used it and it works, but the only thing is you have to have a very stable platform to shoot from because if there's any movement, it shows up. What's happening is that they're, they're leveraging their they're really awesome five axis stabilization and the sensors actually moving slightly for four shots puts them all together and you get a 40 megapixel high resolution image they deserve more attention they're doing some incredible things with photography and technology and it's weather sealed yeah yeah it's it's a rugged camera um i've taken it around it's the autofocus for any of the complaints that people have about mirrorless cameras and that's something that we can say about the a7r mark ii and the a7s mark ii is that their autofocus has become a lot better but these Olympus OMD cameras have been just killing it with yeah. autofocus. Yeah. You mentioned it also the compactness. Uh, just to go back to pocket cameras, we spoke about Sony's RX100 Mark IV. I think um, we should mention it one more time. Though. <laughs> <laughs> and, but however, the Olympus Stylus Tough TG4 oh, of is also a wonderful camera. Uh, I, I happen to prefer the, T, the uh, TG850 exactly. and 860 because it goes to 21 millimeter. But uh, this camera is built tougher has a few extra features which are really nice, but these little rugged point and shoots are, are really wonderful because A, you could take them anywhere. They could be trash, they could be dropped, you could throw them in the ocean. They, they can go through anything and they keep working. If you're a parent, these are great cameras. Do you ever give a camera to a four-year-old or exactly. a five-year-old? These cameras can take it. So when it, whenever I have friends or, or family that say they're looking for a camera, I push them towards these little rugged point and shoots yeah. because the kids could trash them, and they still work. They yep. last for years under yep. the worst environments. These are great cameras for anyone even. I, I call them little fun cameras because 
some people will get, they want to get like really nice point and shoot cameras, but then they're worried about their three inch touchback LCD screen. And they're worried about a lot of different things. They can't, it's not just to throw it into your bag and take it wherever you go. Whereas these kind of cameras, like Alan's pointing out, they're just so rugged. Just go anywhere with them. You don't, you don't have to worry short of losing them or dropping them off a cliff. I, I think one of the weakest points of any point and shoot are those little tiny little metal blades that open and close in front of the lens to protect <laughs> it because you look at them the wrong way and they're destroyed, whereas all these point, rugged point and shoots, they have glass right. portals exactly. of shatterproof glass. You could, you could jam them all you want. They're and fine. To go, and to go back to your point about giving them to kids, you're creating young photographers when you do that too. Yes. So how do we compare this year's cameras to the previous year's cameras? Uh, do you guys think it was... This has been more of an exciting year. You're a little bit disappointed. And what would you like to see for the next year? I know I know where I'm going with that, but uh, you know, compared to where we've been, you know, you're a little bit let down. You expected better news. Oh, I I think that that Sony knocked it out of the park. I'm not. I'm personally not going to invest in that yet um, because I am firmly in love with my D750. Mm -hmm. It has all of the features that I want. I have all of the lenses that I want. I don't mind carrying the extra weight because I know the camera inside and out and in the dark. I can operate it with motor memory, and the images are exactly what I expect and are way better than what I upgraded from, you know, which was a camera from four years before that. So uh, it, it is everything that I want and more. And then the X-T1 being my, my backup to that is also just like the little body with an adapter. I can use all my Nikon lenses on it or the one lens that I got with it that's the Fuji lens as my walk-around camera. As you're talking, I'm going back to my opening statement that it's hard to say what is the best camera. And what you just said is dead on because you, you, the cameras that you're talking about are not necessarily the best cameras that each of those manufacturers make. In fact, they're definitely not the flagships. However, Next they is. are the cameras that do exactly what you need them to do for the work that you do. Indeed, and I did so a lot of research. The D750 is a great camera. Is it the quote-unquote best camera that Nikon makes? Well, again, it depends on what you need. So some people say it would be you know, the D4. But no, in your case, the 750 is the best because you have specific needs. And I think that's an important thing when you go to buy a camera. Know what your needs are. Precisely. Because oh, yeah. the best camera, according to the polls, is not necessarily the best camera. Most likely, it's not the best camera for your needs. When you are going to buy a camera... Something's to look at this year. What are the systems that you're buying into? You know, for some people, the A7Rs are a great type of camera. There's a whole bunch of customizability. There's a whole bunch of stuff that you get to do. There's all these adapters and stuff like that. For someone who wants to maybe do something of a simpler and more traditional approach, that's not the camera for them. Something within a Canon or a Nikon traditional SLR might be a much better setup. You're going to have more widespread knowledge and forums to right. deal with it. You can probably have friends who already own stuff for these. So all that kind of stuff is really stuff to take into mind. How are the warranties or if anything gets gets damaged, where are you going to go to repair them? These are all very important things which are usually not touched on when you when you talk to gearheads or tech tech geeks like like us, where we're fanboys. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really nasty comment that I was not going to say now. <laughs> oh come on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think I think that's one of the things that people really need to be interested in. Like, what what are how can I grow within a system? Is is I think very important for people to ask themselves who are starting to become serious about photography. What are the accessories that are available for these types of cameras? Right. A few years ago, the 5D Mark III was by far the camera to get because just 
anywhere you turned, there was something about it. There was mm-hmm. so much information, so many accessories that run off of its batteries, yada, yada, yada. Um, speaking of which, Canon, why did you not release a 5D Mark IV this year? I don't know. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Because I think this would have been an ideal year for that. I would have only used one question mark. I, but I have more questions <laughs> than you do. I'm from the grammar place. So. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, put your hands on top of the vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> on the top plate. <laughs> on the top plate of the camera. Please put on your hands on the hot shoe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I, I'm always interested in is it used to be that uh, um, if you had a, f- a full-frame camera, that meant you had a large camera. And if you had a point and shoot, that meant it had a tiny little sensor that was nowhere near as good as your the larger sensor in your camera. Now we have full frame cameras that are not much bigger than what we used to call point and shoots, and including cameras that do have the tiny little sensors in them. And that's an amazing thing to me that the size and weight of the camera is no longer defining the image quality. Of the camera. It's an exciting time to be a photographer. And one thing that just popped into my head is the RX1R2, also from Sony, is something yes. with, with the um, choosable, the electronic low pass filter, which you could electronically choose whether or not you should have this low pass filter in effect, is a very unique approach to the classic 5DS, 5DSR, D800, D800E question which is something that's really exciting to see coming into the market. And you also have a lens that's actually matched to the camera and oh, the perfectly. sensor. There's there's no variations in there. Those edges are sharp. I've used the camera. It's beautiful. The original version was really nice, and the new one is even nicer. So that's a, that's a good example of a real tiny package that has imaging power that's just outstanding. Oh, yeah. And um, just my thoughts on this year's cameras. I, I'm really excited to see uh, most of the manufacturers – seem to really be listening to what the crowd wants and they're throwing a lot of stuff. They're really packing up their systems now and they're, they're really trying to be competitive in innovation. And I mean, Sony's for sure leading the way in that, but. You know, one thing I think we should also mention is that we discussed that Leica being such a traditional company is coming out with some rather remarkable cutting edge cameras. They're also still manufacturing film cameras. You have the uh, MP, the M7, the MA, and, and you have, they have cameras that are shooting film, and they share lenses with the digital, and they're traditional. They go back to 1954, the basic design. And then we have other uh, items that, for those who shoot in a studio or, or architecture or have special applications, Cambo makes the Actus B-series, what they call view camera bodies, which essentially you can use your DSLR, mirrorless camera, and any number of lenses with uh, front standard, with tilt and shift, all the view camera movements, with any number of cameras and body uh, combinations, and they're available in different configurations. Now, it's real technical and advanced, but there are people that can use these things, and again, you can use them with old and new camera uh, accessories, and which is really interesting. Having perspective and depth of focus control is life-changing. Yes. You oh, should yeah. try it out. Oh, yeah. Yes. What's, what's really interesting about this is that they're selling it that you can actually change um, which body sensor you want to put on there. So you can do a Nikon F-mount camera and you can do a D810 or a, a D750 or you can do an E-mount or an EF-mount, which is really unique. I mean, pretty much all the view cameras, not all of them, but a lot of the view cameras are kind of going that way. Sinar's been doing this for a while. And it's it's a cool approach to say, hey, choose choose your sensor like you would choose your film. Well, it's, it's also one way to stand out if, you, if you're being selective about what you want in focus or having 
things that should be square, not keystoning, those two characteristics of having front and rear standard control are just, you know, like they're hallmarks of great imagery. Yes. You know? we, we've talked about cameras a lot here, and there's, there's a lot of other cameras we could mention. We didn't mention the Fujifilm GF670 rangefinder folding camera, another one that's still out there and some people just love. Um, let's take the time to talk about one accessory each that came out this year that we really like, anything other than a camera body. My own personal vote would be for the uh, Sigma 20mm f1.4 DG HSM art lens. The Having a 20mm ultra-wide angle lens for a full-frame camera that opens up to f1.4, which gives you just onion skin depth of field, especially up close to me, is huge. I, I have not used one. I understand they're heavy, but I really am looking forward to the time where I could take one of those and put it on my camera and take it out for a test drop. I think it's going to take the market by storm like the 35 art lens did too, yeah. which I own one of those. Uh, okay, and so I, you know how good they are. I do. They've I, done I, a great job. They, they really did. I saw one of the two that are in country. It is gorgeous. The glass is beautiful, and the couple of files I popped off on it just look extraordinary. Cool. What's your accessory? My favorite accessory that I can't wait to try out is the Syrup Genie Mini. Uh, I've been making time lapses. I don't show them often. But I've been making time lapses for years. But this is such a tiny accessory. And, you know, I'm concerned about what's in my bag, right? Uh, it will go in to my bag without really disrupting anything else or pushing anything else out. It will fit in and allow me to do at least time lapses with some motion, some panning motion. And that would be extraordinary to me. So. And it doesn't need a seven thousand watt charge to start, right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's just it's it's got it's it's such an attractive thing. And the price too, I think it's you know mid two hundreds. Uh, I think that uh, everybody can have access to you know a really cool uh, panning control device now too. Cool, Lavy. If it's okay, I'm going to say two things. One is I'm a really big fan of the Lacy Rugged Rage Thunderbolts, which are super blazing fast. Um, these are just little portable – anyone who knows the Lacie rugged drives, they're these little portable drives that you connect to your computer. We, we've seen – we've all seen technical failures happen with imagery, and we all know that your digital image, as much as it can last forever, can also disappear in a minute. And so having something like a rugged raid that just is so blazing fast connected through Thunderbolt, I mean, you'll see tremendous transfer speeds, like something like 200 megabytes plus, and it's just – it's a remarkable – um, the other thing I want to do a shout out for, and this is something that we very rarely get a chance to talk about, is a photo proofing software called CloudSpot.io. Hmm. This is a software service which we sell where your wedding or portrait photographers could actually upload photos for clients to view, choose what size it gets uploaded, it gets branded by your company, et cetera. It's, it's a really cool approach. And what I like most about it is it's so simple. They've done a great job at just simplifying the interface. It's very easy to get up and on there. Is that what sets them apart from competitors? Um, what sets them apart from competitors? I mean, like the competitors would be things like Smug Mugs and Folio. Um, one, we sell them, um, whereas a lot of these are only sold through the through the service itself. Got it. And number two is their their simplicity. I think it really goes a long way. They are really really simplified and just beautiful to look at. When when your client will see the gallery, it's just very easy to see. Go check that out. Yeah, I hadn't heard highly of it. recommend it. It's it's cool. Right, cool. I'm actually curious to see what everybody else thinks. Where can we have conversations with everyone? Well, if people want to send them their choices for 2015, you can send them in at Twitter to us. What's the Twitter tag? 
it is at BH Photo Video. Hashtag Alan Rocks. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you get a free That's box with of donuts. Two L's. Yeah. Two L's A N. That's right. Let's get that straight. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Levy. John Harris, our producer, and Jason Tables, our extraordinary engineer. Yay. Uh, for more photo news and reviews, check bhphoto.com backslash explorer. Follow us on Twitter at bhphotovideo and email your questions to podcast at bhphoto.com. My name is Alan Weitz. Thank you so much for tuning in.